Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. King OX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Nothing impossible on KMOX. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you on our weekly conversation about local innovation and innovators and just new ways of approaching things. We're going to go from the grocery aisle to maybe out to the field where the food is grown. We're going to go from retail to agriculture, Travis, on this edition of the show. We are. We're going to, after we talk with uh, Dave Peacock uh, with Schnooks, we're going to jump in and, and chat with Don Rubin, president of BioSTL, to talk about what BioSTL has been doing in the midst of you know, all of its work, especially in the midst of COVID, as a lot of our solutions are going to be you know, bioscience focused. Yeah, and a lot of civic conversation with Don Rubin as well. And uh, in the talk with uh, Dave Peacock from Schnooks, uh, they made the decision to open a new brand of store, a natural food store, in the midst of COVID. So we'll find out how that's gone. And they're also partnering with a local startup that should help them get better access to uh, smaller farmers. They've obviously got relationships with the bigger farmers in the state, but this new startup partnership should help lower the barrier of entry for some of these smaller farmers to get into the Schnooks shelves. Well, and, and Don will also talk to us about barriers of entry that are that, that a lot of bioscientists face and the role that uh, BioGenerator plays to make lab space accessible so that these scientists can can get to work, sometimes even at home. Don and Dave coming up with Michael and Travis on this edition of Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL. Stick around. We'll be right back. King OX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. And joining us right now on Nothing Impossible is the president and COO of Schnook Markets. There is so much going on. So first of all, let's, I guess, start with COVID. We just had the news that Schnooks is among the retailers requiring face masks. Uh, but I believe Schnooks was one of the first in the country to install plexiglass shields after this, really be, the, this outbreak really began. Uh, what kind of innovation have you had to really quickly come up with to adapt to this new world? Oh, my gosh. It was, it was, it was a lot, especially in early March when, when things started heating up with COVID. So we quickly had a, a vendor who's done a lot of our tables for us and display cases, was able to turn around plexiglass for us very quickly. Um, and we were able to put up over 17,000 pieces in, in, the, in the few weeks after COVID started. Um, and then obviously masks um, and worked feverishly to source those for teammates. Um, you know, we changed out our air filtration um, cycles so that we could actually clean the air in our stores. Um, we, we, we've 
sanitized more. Um, our, our team has done a great job just doing everything possible to protect uh, teammates and customers. It's been a lot that retailers in general, anybody who serves the public, uh, even just figuring out how to get the stickers to promote social distancing on the floor and, and things like that that customers don't necessarily pick up on, but I'm sure there have been meetings and all sorts of conversation about these, these little things that make a difference. There have been, and it really continues. And, and to your point, you know, we, we've moved our front end, this is a good example, to what we call single-line queuing versus what we had is each lane, people kind of getting in, and, and that's something we may see stay around for a while. We went from just having open entrances to an entry and an exit so that we can manage the flow of traffic, um, just in as many details as possible to keep people socially distanced and, and, and keep people safe. And in the midst of all of this, you decided that you would open a new store location and not just another outpost of Schnooks, but a new concept, this natural food store in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, it's called Eat Well. Uh, it's in a former Lucky's market that you picked up after their bankruptcy. Talk about Eat Well. How did this come about? Yeah, it was opportunistic. Um, we um, obviously picked up the Lucky store out of bankruptcy, um, uh, which is about two miles from our base Schnooks store, which is pretty close. And um, you know, I'll give Todd Snook a lot of credit who said, hey, let's, let's do something different and challenge the group to say, you know, maybe we do something that's much more health-oriented like was there before in Lucky's. And our marketing team, um, we've got a woman, Joy, Joy Petty, Jonathan Harris, another person in our business development group, amongst dozens of folks, worked very hard to come up with this concept and this brand and, and get it open quickly so that we'd be well ahead of when the students come back so that we can learn and tinker a bit as, as we prepare for August when students come back and force the score. The store is really across the street from campus. So um, it's a concept we love and we're hoping to expand upon. Yeah, I understand that this was actually the original site of the Schnooks location in Columbia decades ago. And then it moved, as you mentioned, a couple of miles away. I remember when I was at Mizzou, I think an Osco drug was in, in this shopping center. Um, but this is really kind of a, a homecoming for you in Columbia. Well, as, as a, a guy who can relate back to decades ago, because I'm in my 50s and I did go to Missouri my first year, that was the Schnook store that I would visit. And um, so, yeah, there's, it, it's nice to see the company kind of come home. And Columbia is an important market for us. You know, it's where a lot of students are developing their grocery habits. So it's a market we're really focused on more and more. Is this something that you had been looking at for a while and planning for? I mean, the turnaround after the purchase was pretty swift, or, or was that because uh, you brought on a lot of the staff from Lucky's? Um, I guess how long had this been on the drawing board for you for, or the wish list? I will tell you, not long. I mean, we've had a health and wellness priority within the company in the last probably two years and, and been doing things both with the, the type of products we bring in and, and even looking at healthy living centers within stores uh, as an idea. But they, literally this Eat Well brand and a lot of the concepts, which some of which we were able to borrow from, from Lucky's and other competitors out there who are in this, in, in this uh, you know, healthy living um, grocery space. But the branding came out really within a few weeks after acquiring the store. So that's where I say I give our, our marketing team especially a, a, a big tip of the hat as well as our, our merchants who had to bring in these products and start working with hundreds of new vendors very quickly. Um, and thankfully, there were some folks from, from Lucky stores that were, quote-unquote, on, on the market that we were able to, to bring in who could help us bring that store to life quickly. How do you describe the selection of products here? How's it different than the typical Schnook store somebody might walk into? You know, it's, I'd call it approachable health, right? So you, you've got the natural products. If you're someone who 
is um, highly disciplined on your diet. Um, you can find a lot of the, obviously, gluten-free organic and, and um, you know, what I'll call smaller brands, unique brands um, that, that, that thrive in the natural living space. And then you'll have some more, probably than a lot of stores, and I'll say like a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, you've got more some of your larger brands. You, know, we'll, we, you can buy a box of Cheerios in our store. You, know, you can get other products as well um, that are still healthy um, and, and good for you, but may not be, like I say, those more specialized or specialty brands. So um, it's, it's, it's a little more approachable. Um, maybe, and, and you'll find a little more of what you see in an average grocery store, um, but obviously a strong orientation to those natural living products. It seems like this is becoming more mainstream and more of a, a general demand from consumers for this. It used to be you'd walk into a store and uh, organic and that sort of thing would be in a corner. It'd have its own aisle, its own section. And now the, uh, the national retailers are putting their uh, you know, the Simple Truth and O-Organics just right in, in the mix with all the other products. Is that something that you're looking at maybe taking some of the lessons from this and applying it to the greater Schnook stores? Yeah, and we've been doing it, right? So we've been integrating more and more. We do have gluten-free and organic sections still a little bit in some stores, but we've been integrating more because it's just expected. And to your point, uh, you know, there's a there's a macro trend out there that m- every generation is a little healthier than the previous on average, meaning they their habits, their eating habits, you know, true, uh, exercise habits, what have you. So um, given that, it's just really following that trend and, and um you know, our, our purpose, as we say, the company is nourishing people's lives, which is how we obviously do so through food and what we provide to them. But on top of that is also how we treat them in the store. So it will very much has the same customer experience. Um, people have come to expect at Chinooks. Now, this isn't the first uh, specialty store, even in recent history, that Schnucks has opened. Uh, just a couple of blocks away from me is Culinaria downtown, uh, the downtown uh, grocery store. Do you expect... Eat well to be stand alone and be a, a site of experimentation, or do you expect there to be multiple eat well locations? Would you like to scale this over the next few years? I think we'd like to obviously learn from this location. Um, we move quickly to open it, and we've got a lot of learning to do. But I think with this macro trend, I, you know, we've got an interesting brand that our marketers turned around on and created very quickly. And the question is, how how much can we expand on it, both within base stores and maybe with with new eat well stores? So. Um, we'll learn customer reception um, as, as the students come back, especially in the school reopens. And I think we'll let that learning guide sort of where we go with this. And it could even be in the form of products where you have specific eWell products on the shelf. So um, it, thankfully, we've just got a very innovative culture and a lot of great people in the company that can help drive a brand like this in a lot of different directions. I imagine it's a boost for the, the full circle store brand, too. Yeah, and, 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 and it is, and, and um, obviously other, other organic and gluten-free and, and, and what I'll call good-for-you products, and, and obviously we can't forget the fresh side, you know, as you think about produce and meat and things like that, it's, it's you know, the 90% um, um, fat-free ground beef and um, the organic chicken that we, we sell and, and, and have for years, and all of these products, um, you know, that we have in our base stores um, and sell every day, um, you know, are available in this store as well. So that's the latest on the Eat Well concept, a natural food store in Columbia, Missouri. We're talking with Dave Peacock of Schnook Markets on KMOX. And another innovation angle you've been working on is the partnership with foodshed.io. They were a part of the Yield Lab Accelerator Program here in St. Louis for ag tech startups. Actually moved from New York City to St. Louis 
and now this partnership with Schnucks, what does it entail and what do they do? Really what it is, it leverages blockchain technology for one, which is one thing that we're really excited about. Some of the challenges with working with local produce is one, finding, you know, the farmers, if you will. Um, And so this enables that because it gives them a platform to be able to sort of catalog themselves and what they have to offer. But it also has traceability back to um, when things were harvested, who's handled it, um, and and, and then kind of has ensures the food safety. Um, And so really it's helping, it's an enabler to local growers kind of meeting larger purchasers and we committed $5 million in purchases through this. We've always had a local um, orientation um, and, and done so seasonally. You find Eckert's in our stores, for instance, as an example. But this is a, uh, an opportunity to go even deeper and, and, and even more local with smaller growers. It's got to remove a barrier uh, to entry for a lot of these smaller growers to just be able to use this app to make the connection. Exactly, and, that, and that's just it. And it removes the barriers for them. Um, it brings the traceability that they, they've always wanted, but it was difficult before technology enabled it. And I think it helps you know the larger purchasers like us, um, um, fine growers. And, and I know Mike Tipton, who is our vice president of produce, is thrilled about this because it's, it's something that he's wanted to get deeper and deeper into the grower community. It was one of the first meetings I had when I came into the company after about two or three months when I met with the those local growers we're already working with and um, it's just a great opportunity um, for the region and, and these are growers kind of within two to 250 miles of, of, of the St. Louis uh, area or the other markets where we uh, compete. Finally, how is the CVS integration gone, the sale of the pharmacies to CVS Pharmacy and is this uh, the beginning of, uh, it's become a trend in retail to do kind of stores within stores, brands within brands, uh, could there be other partnerships like this in the future? Yeah, it's gone. It's gone well. It's had its bumps, but it's because uh, any transition can be difficult. But um, you know, the, the pharmacy business has been really challenged just structurally, and this this was a great move. It, it really allows us um, sustainably to offer pharmacy services within our stores. CVS is a, is a first-rate company. Um, we've had a partnership with U.S. Bank, for instance, in our stores with Caldi's Coffee, local local company. Um, so we've done some of this before, and I think with so many square foot under roof. We got over six million square feet under roof. It's, you know, there are pockets where we have opportunities to bring partners in and, and bring services to customers. Because um, I think we've seen through COVID that you know the grocery store is one place people are going to continue to go to um, and continue to shop. And so it's an opportunity for companies to get some exposure. We've uh, done stories and interviews about, uh, for instance, the uh, retailer preference index and how Schnucks just aced the digital categories in that this year. And as we get into COVID and and people looking for alternative ways to get to the store and get their stuff, what kind of numbers have you seen for Instacart delivery and for click and collect in the last few months? Yeah, we saw a really big increase. I mean, that business almost quadrupled for a period of time. It settled back into uh, still a higher level. And um you know, it's it's something we continually work on. How do we improve that interface? How do we offer more products to customers through that? Um, you know, Bob Hardister, who is our, our CIO in the company, and his team have done a phenomenal job um, <clears throat> expanding our digital capabilities. And we're even, you know, it's been reported about Tally, our robots that track um, product outs and, and availability on the shelves. And, and that's, he's advanced that technology. So, um, more and more, we're trying to leverage that, really leverage digital to provide a better customer experience. Um, we don't want to get too caught up in just the novelty of some of these technologies, but really ensure that they're improving what the customer experiences, whether that's in the store or, you know, online. 
they're working with us that way. Fantastic. Dave Peacock, President and COO of Schnook Markets, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Stay tuned. More Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL coming up after this on KMOX. KMOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Back indeed. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you on this edition of our show about local innovation. And we want to welcome into the conversation Don Rubin, the president of BioSTL. Welcome to the show, Don, both as a guest. You're familiar as a guest, but also as our sponsor. Thanks, Don. Well, it's a pleasure partnering with you guys. I've been working with you all for several years now, and uh, you guys provide a great service for the St. Louis innovation economy. Speaking of great services for the St. Louis innovation economy, BioSTL is just that. Uh, But for our listeners who might not be familiar, you want to give us a quick thumbnail sketch of what BioSTL is? Catch everybody up? Sure. Well, we've been at this for almost 20 years now. So we started working to build an innovation economy uh, and building entrepreneurship uh, before we really had anything happening in St. Louis, a time when uh, all the good ideas that were coming out of our universities or our medical schools were leaving for the East Coast or the West Coast uh, to build startups, and we were losing the economic benefit, the job creation, and the the other economic goodies that come with startups and, and building uh, new companies, new enterprises. And, and our founder, uh, Dr. William Danforth, um, and a number of other folks uh, really realized that we need to put together an infrastructure in St. Louis, an ecosystem, if you will, of, 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 of people and capital and place and public policy and all the things that are necessary to have a successful uh, innovation startup economy. And we've been working at that now for almost 20 years. Uh, our focus has always been from the beginning on uh, what we think are, are two of the great strengths of St. Louis, the, the medical and healthcare sciences, as well as the plant and agricultural sciences. So we consider both of those part of bio defined broadly. Biosciences includes plant and agriculture, as well as anything that touches human health. St. Louis has been very strong for many, many decades in both of those areas. And we really can hold up our head and say we are a world leader in the discovery and the innovation in those areas. And our goal is to build around all of that the community, the infrastructure, the support systems to be able to take ideas, turn them into startups, get them funded, hire the right people, and grow them here in St. Louis. And hopefully, these companies are going to find cures for disease and treatments. They're going to solve hunger, and they're going to do great things for the world right here from St. Louis. Don, you mentioned job creation and the, uh, I think you said economic goodies that go along with that. In St. Louis, uh, historically, not everybody's been able to share in those economic goodies and been able to take advantage of the jobs that have been created. But BioSTL has really turned its attention to bringing equity to biosciences and STEM education. What are some of the efforts that BioSTL has helped to stand up in this? Yeah, well, uh, you're right. We've been thinking about this really since 2008, and we've been convening around diversity in innovation and, and really began to learn more about, um, uh, about not just diversity, but inclusion and equity and making sure that um, a person's identity, whether it's the color of their skin or their gender uh, or other identity characteristics, do not define their future path, do not 
um, uh, predict whether they can be a successful entrepreneur or not. We want to make sure that everyone benefits from job growth, from innovation, et cetera. And, uh, and by the way, not only from the jobs, but from the innovation itself. We want to make sure innovation that improves quality of life, improves everyone's quality of life. And uh, Michael, we stood up um, a, a couple of years ago, uh, we, we won the largest national grant from the Kauffman Foundation to stand up what we now call the St. Louis Equity and Entrepreneurship Collective. And um, uh, this is, is a collective that has now dozens of organizations that have signed on uh, to try to create a regional seamless ecosystem to support entrepreneurs. Um, and again, equity is the focus of it to make sure that the resources that are available for entrepreneurs are accessible to all, to make sure that um, uh, the, the funding, the mentoring um, is done in an equitable way, and to make sure that people of color, that, 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 that women entrepreneurs and others have a, an equitable uh, path to building a successful funded company that can deliver a product to, uh, to, to our citizens. And Don, we've gone to your experts before when it comes to the COVID situation that we're dealing with. We've interviewed uh, folks who are working on vaccine development to get a little bit of background on how that process comes together. And we interviewed Confluence Discovery Technologies, who's working on an anti-inflammatory drug that could actually be used to treat COVID-19 patients. Uh, what's it like being in the epicenter of that kind of research as this uh, topic takes over the world? Well, yeah, I, I mean, just you know, every time we come into the office in our labs, you know, we have to put our masks on and we have to wash our hands and be very careful. And uh, it's heartening to think that right here in our labs and in our BioSTL building, there are folks who may solve that problem so we can go back to, our, to, go back to normal in, in, in some sense. Um, you know, there are really brilliant scientists and innovators in our St. Louis community that are doing things that can help not just solve this pandemic, but help us be more resilient for future crises, whether it's vaccines, whether it's new testing technologies, digital kinds of contact tracing technologies to keep us safe. Um, there are so many aspects that, uh, can help us get back to work better, uh, keep us from having to shut down our economy. Um, and uh, there are innovators right here in St. Louis that are working very hard, working 24-7 to help solve those problems. Now, Don, you, uh, you just built and moved in, recently moved into a new building in the Cortex District, the BioSTL building, a wonderful adaptive reuse project. And right at the time that everybody was getting settled in the building, uh, COVID happened and people started working remotely. How is it that the work, uh, not just the work of BioSTL, but the work of a lot of those companies, how can that be done remotely? And how have you seen this remote work impacting BioSTL's mission? Well, it's taken some creativity for sure. And maybe it's sort of that entrepreneurial spirit that we have in our staff and with our partners. Uh, so first of all, our labs are open um, and uh, uh, we, we have 60 plus startups that share our lab space and they have access to keep running their experiments. But we have had some examples of, of entrepreneurs who themselves have um, vulnerabilities and, and it's unsafe for them to come in. Uh, into our uh, into our building, and in uh, one case, uh, we set up a lab in in a in the garage of a comp of, of of a home of one of our entrepreneurs. We've we've loaned to some equipment, and so that he can continue to do his experiments at home. 
Um, we've done the same thing with a plant science company to help them be able to do some of their plant experiments in a home setting. So we've, it's taken some innovative uh, creativity to keep, uh, keep the balls in the air and to keep things moving forward. But you know, the, the, a lot of these companies are, are, are involved in science that you just can't stop. It has to keep on going. We have to find creative ways um, for the path forward. That path forward uh, is critical to St. Louis. Uh, we've, you mentioned the 20-year history of bioSTL and what's been done in the biosciences and, and plant sciences. Uh, we, we recently have heard a lot about uh, geofutures and the work in, in geospatial. What are some ways that geofutures and the geospatial work, how is that learning from taking the learnings from bioSTL? Yeah, uh, well, we have been in conversations now for several months with the folks who have stood up the geospatial activities and geofutures um, uh, to learn from our experience. You know, 20 years ago when we stood this up, um, we were starting from scratch. There was no roadmap. Um, I think that there are some elements that, and lessons that we've learned that can be applicable, and uh, we have certainly shared everything we can with our colleagues who are driving the geospatial activities. So, for example, you know, 20 years um, is a long time, um, and it takes stick to itness, if, if that's a word, you know, really sticking to it. Um, you know, it's years of investment and in institution building. You know, over this time, we, we, in the early years, we were standing up new institutions like the Cortex Innovation District and the Biogenerator. Um, and getting those, you know, any one of those has some fits and starts as they, as they begin and they get their legs. Um, the, the community needs to stick with these and, and make sure they, they, they learn their own lessons and become effective organizations. Um, you know, uh, one important aspect from the beginning of our work in life sciences and biosciences was a community consensus that developed of, around the importance of it for our region's future. There was a plan that was done that engaged uh, businesses, universities, even the media, um, and we really had the backing going back to 2001, 2002. There was a community consensus that the life sciences held great promise for St. Louis and people were willing to be open-minded about it and invest in it and, and, and uh, partner in that. And I hope the same thing will happen with geospatial as it's being stood up and that there's a community consensus that this can be really a, a difference maker for St. Louis's future. Don, over 20 years and without a roadmap to begin, what are one or two maybe missteps that BioSTL made along its way. It's part of its growth trajectory. Other than hiring me to lead it? Um, <laughs> uh, we'll, put, we'll put that aside. Um, well, you know, we uh, uh, have learned quite a number of lessons. I, I will say one of the uh, big lessons that I learned, uh, very naively, we believed early on that having local venture capital uh, was going to solve all of our problems. We thought that if we could help stand up two or three St. Louis-based venture capital funds, then all the good ideas would get funded and they would be grow here in St. Louis as successful startups. Well, there were a few things wrong with that. Number one, any given venture capital fund uh, looks at 200 deals to invest in one. So to think that every one of our deals in St. Louis would be invested in if we had a handful of venture capital funds locally was really very naive. Um, but beyond that, what we realized was that more important than the capital and the dollars themselves were the people. 
having people who had a track record of taking ideas and turning them into successful startups, profitable startups, and making money for investors, wherever those investors might be. They could be in St. Louis, they could be on the East Coast or the West Coast, they could be overseas. Uh, that if we could stand up quality companies with quality teams of people here in St. Louis, then we could attract capital from outside. And what we've learned over time is we've now raised um, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, into our companies in St. Louis, and almost 90% of it has come from outside of St. Louis. So we spent a lot of time trying to jumpstart venture capital in St. Louis, and we did that, um, but it was never enough in St. Louis to be able to fund our good companies. It takes global capital uh, flowing to St. Louis, and it's the people that are the key to that. We're talking with Don Rubin on Nothing Impossible, presented by BioSTL. Coming up next, we're going to get into some civic issues and also ask him about that construction noise you might hear in the background from the Cortex Innovation District. Stay tuned. King X at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back. All right, we're talking with Don Rubin. We're going to continue our conversation. Don is the president of BioSTL, and it's been around for 20 years. There's a lot going on in St. Louis, but there's still more to come. Don, uh, Michael teased the idea that there, we might be able to hear some construction going on just outside Don's office. Don, Washington University in St. Louis is building a new neuroscience building just adjacent to the BioSTL building. Uh, what's going on with that? Well, um, I can hear it right now, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> and, and I think I'm going to be hearing it for the next two and a half years uh, as they are building what I believe is the largest neuroscience research building in the country. Uh, which is a great thing for St. Louis. I mean, Washington University is a leader in a lot of areas, but neuroscience is one of the really key areas that includes, you know, Parkinson's research, Alzheimer's research, um, lots of other areas that, that, that are related to neuroscience. And uh, this new building is going to be over 600,000 square feet, which, by the way, is um, almost 10 times the size of our building. Uh, we have, we're about 80,000 square feet. Uh, so we're going to be dwarfed by this uh, giant cousin of a building next door. Um, but we're delighted by that. And um, um, they're going to have over 900 researchers and staff in that building. It's going to really activate the neighborhood even more. Um, it's an over, I, I believe over $600 million is going into that project. Um, it's going to be a great thing, um, but we're going to have to wait a couple of years for it to be finished. Uh, the renderings are beautiful, um, and uh, I think it's going to be a real landmark, uh, not just in scientific research, but just generally in architecture uh, in, in, in St. Louis, and specifically here in this Cortex district and this medical research area. It's so really, really looking forward to having that, that done, and we're looking forward to having it done Partly, we'll be happy when the noise stops. Uh, now, with 600 researchers, uh, how does that compare to, you know, the environment out at the Danforth Center, which is also a concentration of researchers? Is this uh, another dense concentration of researchers that, uh, that will help develop new things? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, I, 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 one of the reasons for putting it where they're putting it, which is immediately adjacent to the Cortex District and next to the BioSDL building, is a real emphasis on commercializing or um, taking ideas 
and turning them into startups, turning them into products, um, not just doing research for research sake, but making sure that those breakthroughs are going to ultimately help patients. And the way an idea, the way a cure or a treatment or a diagnostic uh, that's discovered and innovated uh, gets to patients is through, uh, through startups uh, and licensing those ideas into a startup or creating a startup around it and having it stand up and get funded and do the experiments and the trials with people to ultimately have it be a standard of care to uh, help our family members and those we know who suffer from these diseases. So we're delighted to be part of the process uh, of turning these brilliant ideas turning the ideas of these brilliant scientists uh, into products, into new companies uh, to make those ideas a reality. And so that's a real emphasis of, of what will be going on in that building. We're talking with Don Rubin, the president of BioSTL on KMOX. And as we share this great news, whether it's the research happening in the BioSTL building, the investments happening, the construction in the area, there's also uh, something that's hit the news in the last few weeks, a critique from a CEO of a major St. Louis company, Centene. Uh, some of his critique was about the slow pace of change and progress uh, in the St. Louis area. So, Don, as a civic leader here, what do you what do you make of um, constructive criticism like this, and, and what do you think the, the best response would be for our elected officials here? Well, uh, things are always more nuanced uh, than, uh, than often we read about in the, uh, in the newspapers. Um, you know, some of the, uh, first of all, I, I don't think it's a secret to anyone that we have a fragmentation challenge in St. Louis with multiple municipalities and, um, and, and uh, uh, various elected officials. Um, it's been hard and a challenge for us in St. Louis to come down with a common vision that's shared by all to move forward. So that's something that I know that everyone is conscious of and working on, whether it's the elected officials, whether it's the business community. Um, there are a number of plans that are going on to try to bring folks together around, around a common vision. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of issues we just need to get off the dime and, and move forward on. Um, I know that one of the critiques was around the airport and, um, and whether, uh, you know, uh, the fact that we don't really have a hub anymore and a major international airport. And, and uh, you know, I've been asked about that in the past. And, you know, uh, I think it would be great to have more international flights uh, in St. Louis. But, but our experience has, has been that that's not a fatal um, challenge to the work that we do. As you both know, uh, we have been working through our global STL initiative to bring, uh, to bring startups and innovations to St. Louis from, from Europe, from South America, from Israel, from, from all over the world. And uh, we hold uh, annual summits that we bring companies here to partner with our, with our major companies, our healthcare systems. So if we have found that, the value, that there is a value proposition to being in St. Louis, and if you can tell the story right, and you can um, uh, focus on and leverage our assets, the airport is not going to be a barrier. We have seen people take two or three or probably four flights to get to St. Louis because they want to have the meetings that we can facilitate for them with decision makers at major healthcare systems, major corporations who are buyers of innovation, who can be strategic partners. So we need to um, smartly leverage the assets that we have. And yes, let's keep doing better. 
let's um, get international flights into our airport. Um, And yes, let's deal with public safety, which I think is a threat to um, every uh, aspect of of, uh, uh, development in St. Louis. We need to do better with those. But we also need to do better with what we actually have. Um, And we have great assets in St. Louis, cultural assets, educational assets, innovation assets um, that uh, are really uh, almost unrivaled in the Midwest, at least. You know, we look at a lot of other communities that are in some ways eating our lunch when it comes to some aspects of economic development in Nashville uh, or Indianapolis or Louisville, places that when I was growing up, nobody even thought about as competition for St. Louis. Um, and there's a lot of uh, truth in, the need, in that we need to get our act together in a lot of ways. Uh, but on the, other, on the other hand, we have so much great raw material, um, more so than any of those places that I mentioned, um, that uh, we can be winners in these competitions. You mentioned leveraging assets uh, regionally. And, you know, admittedly, one of our largest assets that we have in the region is, is the airport. And there's been uh, so much discussion around privatization or not to privatize. Uh, how would that... First of all, how would that impact the region? And secondly, is that discussion a distraction for the region right now? Well, I, I think you're outside my scope, gentlemen. Um, uh, what, uh, I, I'm not an expert on airport privatization. Um, I do travel in and out of a lot of airports, and airports are important. The way an airport looks is important. The way it welcomes people is important. People get their first impression of a city often from an airport. So I do believe that the airport can be very important uh, in the image making of St. Louis. And so I think we need to do what we can to have a a welcoming airport, a comfortable airport, an efficient one, and one with with, uh, flights that take us to where we need to go. Um, But I leave it to others to identify what the best path is to get to the best outcomes. As you mentioned, Global STL, we have covered the health innovation summits that have taken place in St. Louis, but you have, I'm sure, racked up some nice frequent flyer tallies by heading to some of these other countries, Israel most notably, where St. Louis is trying to attract these biotech startups here. What what was the last trip, or when's the next trip, or what stands out to you among those? Well, that's an interesting question because travel's on hold, uh, as you probably are not surprised to hear. Um, you know, we were scheduled to have our fourth annual uh, Global STL Healthcare Innovation Summit here in St. Louis in June. It would have been our fourth in a row in, in June. And we had to cancel that. But what we've replaced that with now is a virtual summit, let's call it, um, which is a whole lot more work for my team. Because um, what we've done in the past uh, is we've had a 24-hour period where we brought about 15 innovators in from around the world to do speed dating meetings with uh, groups like BJC and Mercy and Slucare and Express Scripts and Centene and other healthcare players, about 14 of them from St. Louis and around the Midwest that are having partnering meetings with each of these 15 companies that come from overseas, all in a 24-hour period. What we're doing now, during, we scheduled this for September, is for each of our St. Louis companies, like the BJCs and the Centines, uh, each one's going to have their own personalized summit where they have, have one-on-one Zoom meetings with multiple ones consecutively over a, about a two-day period. So we're having individual summits customized for each of our St. Louis partners during the month of September. So 
we're having to do what we uh, have to be creative once again uh, within the limitations of during this pandemic. Travel is very difficult, and uh, uh, but it doesn't mean that the business relationships cannot continue to be built and to be grown, um, even in a little bit of a disadvantaged environment. Well, Don Rubin, I'm glad that our business relationship has grown and developed with you. BioSTL, a wonderful sponsor of Nothing Impossible. Don, thank you so much for joining us this week. It has been my pleasure as always, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Don. And listeners, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. You can always catch this on the podcast if you happen to miss a segment. Download the Radio.com app and keep up with St. Louis Innovation anytime. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.